Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to welcome you into the same place. It's a place of inclusivity and safety for any conversation to be heard. The safe place began as a image in my head of a wooden cabin on the lake. My own place of mental safety. And I welcome you here to listen to discussions on mental and physical health mental illness and mental and physical disability. You may hear stories that inspire. You may hear stories that make you cry, both in sadness and happiness. But always told from a place of truth. And we hold dear the principles of love, kindness and compassion. Now, with that all said, it's time to hunker down, get comfortable, so we're ready to welcome you in too. A safe place. And welcome, uh, Kate Middleton. Thank you very much for for coming on. Um, so, just by way of very brief introduction, uh, Kate's joining us from uh, the Ren Project. Which, um, Kate, I'll I'll kind of hand over to you to to explain a little bit about and and kind of uh, how you got there. Hello, thank you for inviting me onto the series. Um, so yes, I, I've, um, I'm coming from the REN project. Um, we are a small charity um, and we work with people living with autoimmune disease. Um, and we offer one-to-one free ongoing mental health support for living with a chronic condition. In a nutshell. Yeah. And, and what what kind of brought that about for you? What, why did it start? Good question. I, um, gosh, so, so many reasons. Um, I was diagnosed with lupus, age 17. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a tough road. It still is. Um, and I'm still trying to navigate it. Mm. I've I spent most of my 20s very unsure about how, where it sat with me. And I had very good doctors and friends and family to support me. And it was always a feeling of what if I didn't have someone to talk to and Mm. how devastating that would feel um, and how lonely that would feel. Um, I suppose that's really the heart of where it came from, the original incentive. Yeah. Kind of allowing other people to to not be not be alone by the sound of it so a good a good a good core yeah and um it was accelerated when i met my co-founder alice who lives with alopecia um and the words that we were using to describe how we felt living with an autoimmune disease were very similar despite being so extremely different in how it manifests um and it made me realize and it made us alert to how lonely and distressed people were out there um, and how we think it's a missing service. Yeah, and I, I would strongly agree. I mean, I, I, I don't live with an autoimmune, but I, I've, as listeners will know, I've lived with um, conditions that I was born with. So congenital telepaths, um, I born with it. Um, and 
lots of surgeries and all the fun stuff that that kind of attaches to it. And it's taken me effectively 36 years to actually realise that I don't have to live up to the same expectations as as other people, that I can adapt Mm. and change, and that whilst I'm different, that's not a negative. Um, And for me, it was therapy. Um, it was therapy that allowed me to 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 realize that that was all okay um, and that I didn't need to hide that away. Was that some of the kind of feelings that 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 you'd experience yourself? Yes, and still experience now. Um, i'm 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 knee deep in trying to work out how this shapes my identity and who I am. And I'm 15, 15 years into my diagnosis. I haven't got it figured out. I feel very lost on the subject. I just know that there's certain things that do help. And uh, I'm sure I, I, I don't see anytime soon working out quite what my identity around it is. Um, I really struggle with it, but you know, the overwhelming sense of loneliness and, um, being on your own to try to work at, work that out is extreme. And I think it's crucial to, uh, to have someone to share that with. Mm. And that, that's really the drive. And and with the ran, obviously, the, the two of you have got very different um, uh, conditions, in the sense that um, yeah, they're, they're not directly directly linked. Is it is it a wide range of of autoimmune? Is it a kind of uh, what, what's the one that they they like to use a broad church uh, in, mm-hmm. in terms of autoimmunes? Yeah, I. I think this is the really exciting thing about the REN project. And I think that this is the community that we're trying to create um, to give you some numbers. Um, there's 4 million people in the UK living with these diseases. Um, and there's it's, autoimmune diseases characterized um, particularly by the NHS um, as, as specific conditions. And there are 80 in total. Um, so, so you do have the big ones that cost an enormous amount of money and have, you know, people would know about. So yeah. type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, lots of people have heard of. But you have an enormous number and we get referrals every day still. And I've been working solidly for two years on this. Um, an enormous number of people living with autoimmune diseases um, that don't have a community because the, t- the numbers that suffer from them are so small. Um, And the REN project wants to look at the commonalities between all of them. And that our our real focus is the emotional effects of living with them. Um, And that that unites people in a really dramatic and um, empowering way. Um, So that, you know, that's the heart of the REN project. We're, We're not particularly concerned about the physical manifestation we're looking at the the impact that it's going to have emotionally on your life to be diagnosed with one of these. Yeah, and one of the, one of the interesting things that that I've seen on the REN is that 
it's it's people that have got experience, so lived experience that are helping other people with their lived experience, and that yeah. in itself, that kind of community feeling, just being able to have someone understand mm. is such a big thing. Um, and I think that's lovely, really lovely. However, there's a certain area that, you know, this is a question that we um, grappled with considerably at, the, at our startup, because the other charities out there that exist that are wonderful, like Lupus UK, if I had a question about lupus and wanted to speak to someone that had lupus, I could call Lupus UK. So we wanted to do a different angle. Not all of our volunteers do have autoimmune diseases, but they will have had lived experience in different ways and they'll be interested in autoimmune disease. And we think it's crucial that the attention and the lens is entirely on the REN and that's the, per- that's the service user. And so therefore in our sessions, uh, you know, the focus is entirely on them because the person listening might not have direct experience of that disease. Yeah. Um, they're learning about the disease perhaps for the first time through that person, not through a Wikipedia page or prior knowledge. And it's powerful. And, and do, you, do you hold conversations with, with people yourself? <laughs> I used to a lot. Uh, I have slightly reined back. Um, I, I've, I've never let, I've tried to never let lupus stand in my way uh, and absolutely claim that it had no effect on me at all to listen to other people to talk about their desperate situations, which they absolutely are. Um, but sometimes it's pretty tricky um, listening to something that's so close to home. Um, so that is what we specifically do. We we make sure that our volunteers do not have the same disease as the person that they're supporting because there's got to be some kind of protection. Um, and I, I, for a long time, thought that I didn't, didn't, I was excluded from that and I was fine. But I'm not. No, I'm really not. I'm. I'm just as, um, just as much the sponge as everyone else is in that circumstance. Well, and it, it's a enti- entirely normal reaction, mm. and more so when you understand what that person's going through from your own experience. You you just naturally will feel that that pain, for want of a better yeah. um, better word, and if you then don't have somewhere to offload that yourself, it, yeah, you can get into some, some very difficult situations in your, in your own, um, your own yeah. eyes. And my temptation when I hear about something that's very relevant to me and I know about it is always to jump in and say, Oh my gosh, that happened to me too. Yeah. But, but that removes the attention from the person you're talking to because it's not actually about the volunteer. It's about the person that's coming to us. Uh, and it's too difficult not to want to jump in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And it, it, it's probably worthwhile just talking a little bit about lupus itself. So, so there'll be, I'm sure, there'll be people that have either only heard of it because they watched House um, <laughs> TV series because lupus was always the answer, um, or or through you know a charitable. Uh, advert or, or something but don't really understand it so just just tell mm. us a little bit about it yeah. 
where to start? <laughs> Lupus is a um, is is not a nice thing to have. It's it is an autoimmune disease that affects multiple parts of the body. Uh, an autoimmune response is when your body turns on you and um, you know your body starts attacking itself and that's a big thing to get your head around um, the fact that you need to be on drugs to stop your body trying to hurt you is is difficult uh, and that's a commonality with all autoimmune diseases um, but specifically with lupus I suppose it's easiest to tell you my experience of it 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 changes person to person so much. My experience at the beginning was arthritis and joint pain and rashes and gray nodes, which is bad circulation. Yeah. Um, but over the years, mine has got worse and that's spread to uh, problems with my um, muscles, which has put me in wheelchairs and in, in a wheelchair for a period. Um, problems with um, my heart and my lungs um, and problems with um, sometimes my uh, I've had neurological symptoms which has led me to do some very strange things yeah. um, the difficulty with lupus is it can strike you in any place at any time and uh, it means that I haven't been able to sort of get on top of it and work out how I feel about it because it changes so often so quickly and that's difficult and what was the experience like being being in a wheelchair really difficult um I use sport to distract me yeah. um suddenly I couldn't go and run that's in a very basic sense that but um I remember I was in a wheelchair when my sister was wedding dress shopping and my mum pushed me around to all these different wedding dress shops and I couldn't get into the entrance of them and um, even a brief period of dramatic change, um, even if you know it's going to come to an end, is still very debilitating. Mm. And And in terms of actually accessing... So one of the things that I've observed is getting hold of a wheelchair is not an easy feat. Yeah. <laughs> my, um, my grandma is in her 90s and we share one. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum tries to pretend like that's not what she's doing, but I know that that is what she's doing. <laughs> um, Brilliant. But I was lucky because I've got fantastic doctors and they get on top of things pretty quickly. Um, so I am very fortunate. But it did open my eyes to a whole new world. Mm. And it is it is a different world. Um, I mean, I... What, uh, so yesterday, in fact, um, I was in uh, my very soon-to-be former employer um, office in... in once yes, that's that's HSBC, and it was the first time I've been in the office in a wheelchair because I, my my I, my issue is my ankle. Well, my main issue is my ankles, and they just don't like to work sometimes. Um, and obviously, 
as you all sure know, when when they don't want to work, it's very very difficult to get around. So I used mm. I used a chair, um, and it's funny you say that you share one with your grandma because um, mine was actually my mum's previous uh, previous chair, and I, I was really surprised by how difficult it was to navigate what is a ginormous office. I don't know if you've ever seen the HSBC building in, mm. in, in Birmingham, but it's, you know, it's a block. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive office. It's only five years maybe old. So, you know, it's a, it's a new place, lots of open space, yet getting to a desk was really difficult because the chairs were just yeah. were too narrow. And it's little things like that that are just entirely different in a wheelchair to even using crutches, which is my usual method um, yeah. getting around. Uh, I just, I find it, I find it a fascinating experience. Um, and I, it's almost something that I'd like to see lots of people experience, but not because, <laughs> not because I'd want them to have, have something that would put them in a wheelchair, but just to get that understanding. Um, yeah of how difficult it is. It's opening people's eyes to um, new realities. Mm. Um, so I mean, getting into shops, that, that must have been a, a trial. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's been a couple of occasions, you're just completely excluded from certain areas that haven't been talked through. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I don't want to overstate it because I, I that was a short period of my life and um i i've i've been so fortunate in my in my care that that's not been an ongoing reality for me um and it's but but even a short period of witnessing how debilitating that can be and how excluding that can be uh, i suppose bringing it back to the ren project it just you know, makes the loneliness even worse yeah yeah any anything that even either makes you slower or at a different height um yeah uh so i i, I know a variety of different adaptive athletes these days and the the theme is the same in that because they're all needing to use something or they're of a, of a different stature so that they, they're kind of permanently um, shorter than, than the norm. Um, they all find exactly the same thing in that exclusion from mm. things that should be easy. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> probably shouldn't be saying this story, but one of the things that I really surprised me was trying to use a wheelchair when getting into a toilet. Mm. So it was a disabled um, stall. So I had to go through two doors, first of all, to get get there, which is, I mean, I find it difficult with crutches. Uh, it's more difficult in a wheelchair to get through through doors, which are fire doors that are quite heavy. And the, the chair wouldn't fit through the, the cubicle door. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, I'm quite fortunate because I could 
lift myself up and yeah. take one step to to kind of get to get to where I need to get to. But if I've been a permanent wheelchair user in that situation, I'd have been screwed. Yeah, and I bet everywhere they're written that they're um, wheelchair friendly and they have mm. disabled access. And I bet they celebrate how how pioneering they are. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. But again, until you've had mm. some degree of lived experience, whether it be um, yeah, a, a short period in a, in a chair or it be a life-changing event that's that's going to put you in one for, for, for permanence, it is very difficult then to go because somebody will have measured that door and said, oh, wheelchair fits. Mm. But it was literally about two millimetres at each side that stopped the wheelchair from fitting. <laughs> Simple little things um, that shouldn't be complicated, that just just are. Um, one of the one one of the things that that I've I was kind of interested in with with the lupus because it, as I understand it, is it is a a reactive um, disease in the sense that so wherever it's going to, it's it's the inflammation that's causing causing the issue. Is that is that kind of fair? I think so. Even after fifteen years, I don't don't really understand it. Um, <laughs> Yes, um, mine has become more complicated because, well, as with a lot of autoimmune diseases, once you have one, you will develop more. Um, And I've done that along the way. Um, But in trying to treat my lupus, which has never really been, um, you know, it's never got under control. So in trying to treat it, I've been given pretty hefty immunosuppressants for 15 years. Mm. Um, and actually, it's the REN project that alerted me to how high my immunosuppressant treatment was. Um, I didn't realise, because up until recently, I'd never met someone that had lupus and actually never spoken to someone. So then when I found out my level of steroids, which I've been on for 15 years, it slightly made me sit back and think what is going on um but because of how battered i've been due to steroids and other immunosuppressant drugs i'm now struggling almost with the opposite um so there's huge side effects that that those drugs have come and have brought on so i'm now on more drugs to try to help yeah the side effects of the original drugs um and then, I mean, I, I'm fairly new into needing to take lots of different medication. Mm. Fortunately, I've been able to not not need it. Well, I, I didn't take it. Whether I needed it, it was probably a different um, a different point. But how do you find managing the the medication? Because I think it's really difficult. <laughs> Heavy sigh. I remember uh, when. My family members once I, I said I've run out of drugs. My sister's amazing. She's she's so good. She's so proactive. She just kicks into action and says, "Right, what we can do? What can we do about it?" And someone said to her, "You know, what an idiot! She's been on them for fifteen years. How could she run out?" Um, and my sister completely went for her and said, um, "And said, 
you know, every day is another battle with drugs. And it's true. I, I uh, so often have them in my hand because I take 17 in the morning wow. and hold them. And I, I've become very good at swigging them in one go. I just get, get it over and done with. Yeah. So, so often I just imagine myself just missing my face and throwing them over my shoulder. <laughs> coincidentally next to a window <laughs> um i've had periods where i stopped taking them because i wanted to um you know see what see what would happen mm. and i became very very unwell i had a serious heart problem at university as a result of messing around i've realized that it's not an option anymore i have to take them um, yeah. but that does not get easier um in any way at all and i it's one of the things i hate the most mm. I, I i wish that they could at least at the very least make them taste palatable oh, yeah <laughs> yeah gosh it's such a battle with some things i've decided with some things that i just will never take them and it's so arbitrary what i decide i will and what i won't yeah. but some vitamins or minerals that people have told me that would be great to make me feel just generally healthier i've you know, declared war against those. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you want to add yet another? Exactly. Like, I mean, I, I, people that I mean, because I've had that um, where people have been saying, "Oh, just just take this this supplement." Uh, it's, it's usually fish oils for for me. Yeah. Take take fish oils, you'll be fine. Yeah, but I won't. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> it works. Agreed, but that. To, uh, you know, I'm going to get over emotional about this because I really believe that that's something we see in the REM project all the time. And that person should have the right and have the control to say yes or no. Exactly. Um, it's your choice. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy world that we live in. In the fact that there is almost constant unsolicited advice for one. Mm. Um, but people get really passionate about it as well. Um, mm -hmm. I had somebody that that they I won't name the brand, but they they basically sell milkshakes for fitness, right? Um, and they were like, "Well, you, this has literally changed people's lives. This has made people, you know, completely completely better, and they're they're, they're healthy, they're fit." It's like, oh, okay, so so point me to the the studies and the and the science behind it, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll have a look. So I, that's just what I like to do. Mm -hmm. I'll just look into it and see if there's any 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 research <laughs> that's not done by the company. Um, yeah, it. Um, and you know, they they didn't have much much to do. Um, and what they did send me was was not um, not of a scientific nature. Uh, it was kind of more articles and 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 uh and that type of thing which it was sales documentation basically and then when i actually started to kind of go well who have you been who have you found that has had their life changed by it like what what conditions did they have i was like conditions i know they, they were just slightly overweight or they were just you know wanting a little bit of a perk a, a kind of pickup or you know just a normal everyday mm. uh, individual and i was like 
are you saying this to other people? Yeah. Because <laughs> that can be really harmful. Yeah. Gosh, I, I, I remember at the beginning of setting up the REN project, I was really trying to butter up anyone that had an interest in it, just to, you know, generate some interest. And some people have, I had exactly the same experience, but I couldn't tell them just, I couldn't tell them what I was really thinking <laughs> because I wanted them on side. But the amount of people that came to me and said, you know, if you drink this juice every day, you'll cure yourself. And I sort of, you know, nodded and agreed and said, thank you so much for this wonderful advice. <laughs> thinking I'm 15 years in, I have seven autoimmune diseases the best doctors in the world can't fix what's going on and you're claiming that a juice will <laughs> i'm at risk of saying too much but i think the point is everyone's disease is their own and yeah. you're right everyone has an opinion on it yeah. and so a space where you can talk about it without getting an opinion is wonderful mm. it must and be where yeah, incredibly freeing. Yeah, and it's so rare, so rare to find them. Yeah, because I mean, even on, even on kind of Facebook groups that have been designed, well, I say designed, but have been kind of set up with good intentions to mm. to kind of have have areas. So I I joined one for arthritis. Um, so osteoarthritis is is part of the the yeah. uh, issues that that I have going on, and. You know, it was it was well intentioned, but it was that same kind of everybody was putting their own experience as suggestions to everybody else's issues. To I can't really, for want of a better word, really, because it's not necessarily issues, but experiences themselves. And it, it was all done with really good intention, but mm. what works for one may not work for another. Is yeah. the other part of that. And just having that that place to just almost not have to deal with that, like that must be a wonderful thing to to experience. Yeah, and I have a wonderful support network, and my doctors couldn't be better. But I I get advice from them. I get advice from my family. I get advice from my partner and my friends. I, it's very rare where someone, you know, everyone will immediately say what I think you should do is, and I just sometimes don't want their advice, perhaps because I don't want to take it, but beyond that, perhaps because I just don't want any more advice. Mm. And I'm almost scared sometimes to talk to family and friends and tell them what, what's going on because they will come back to me with advice, even mm. if I've asked them not to, because they just want to help. Yeah. And it's their way, their, their way of helping. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I, I experienced this when my mum was, as my mum mom died um, two years ago now, um, and she was ill for a, roughly three years. Um, so she had, had um, triple negative breast cancer, and eventually that then spread into into her brain and that's ultimately what what kind of killed her um but it's that kind of feeling of constant loss being on the other side of it and being the one that that isn't experiencing it 
you always want to help that person and you don't know how and you kind of default to that yeah well why don't you try this why don't why don't we do this and and all the kind of things that actually the person doesn't need sometimes it's just things like having a hug i mean that's sometimes just give me a hug yeah shit just give me a hug (laughs) no you're completely right it's yeah that's really sad um often i don't want anyone to say anything i just want them to listen to me Mm. Uh, and you're right physical contact the thing with the wrens that we support we ask everyone in surveys that we regularly do we ask them questions like how lonely are you and that's the question that always screams out the the um the responses that are the highest i think that this community is desperately lonely and there is part of having to navigate this on your own and finding it difficult to find spaces where it's safe to do that Mm -hmm. and and i certainly feel that and and in terms of the people that you've you've kind of helped so far i mean what what kind of numbers are we we talking about so far so we each volunteer that we train supports two wrens at a time um and then each wren comes to us at the average length of support is about five months um so we have people that we're currently supporting our numbers are around 50 or 60 with fortnightly sessions and people that have kind of graduated the one-to-one support um the last time i checked we're up to 147 amazing and those graduates have the opportunity to join a community group drop-in um and that really is growing uh and i really like that setup because Sometimes it's about trying to find the word yourself. And then once you find your own words, you can speak to others about it. Yeah. And that, I think the the really lovely thing about that is that as you get those 50 through, you that kind of end community is going to be constantly growing and evolving um, mm-hmm. with, you know, with different people's, experiences of what they've all gone through with the one commonality that they've all gone through that same process um exactly and that must in itself create community or sense of community yeah and as i said previously so many of these people have multiple autoimmune diseases um so being dealt with just by lupus uk wouldn't be relevant to me because i've got multiple others yeah. Um, and there's no connection in your medical appointments um, or doctors. They're not. They're not connecting the diseases. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's often difficult to get your own head around them. And these charities, these lead charities, which are, are wonderful information and advice and, and and brilliant, but often they're not so connected either. Um, it's really lovely to have a community where the commonality is, you know, a chronic condition. And similarity in um, in their experience of of what that means to live in the world. 
And, and, and what do you see as the future for, for Ren? <laughs> World domination. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I would... There are four million people in the UK and I want to support all four million people. And people laugh at me when I say that, but why shouldn't I say that? Yeah. I want I want to reach or support all four million. I want to bring everyone together into one community. And whether that's bringing the different organizations together in big conferences or going into workplaces and telling the world about what autoimmune is, mm. or whether we're just doing more of the same, offering that crucial one-to-one support and then creating a community at the end of that. I want to somehow touch everyone that's either directly living with autoimmune disease, the 4 million, and beyond that, their family and friends, the world. I I want to see the hidden disease explode in this country, just like mental health has. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny, when you said the 4 million people, I I think if you said anything less, I'd have been slightly disappointed because (laughs) actually that's what you with the good core intention of of what ren is why wouldn't you want that whole relation to 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 get that that just seems like like the 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 nirvana i suppose um of of where it could and i suspect will um will go um I have every every faith that um, you'll achieve that because you've got the drive to do it. Um, I think that's a, a really impressive thing to to be able to demonstrate. I think I have the drive to do it. Certainly, I also want. I have the team to do it with. Mm. Um, we have some really good people, um, both in staff, funders, backers. Our volunteers, they they all make the REN project. And um, I, I think that if you have experience of a living with or know people that have autoimmune diseases, I don't have to explain the project beyond a couple of sentences because yeah. people do just get it. Yeah, it's the, it's the obvious thing that's been missing. Um, yeah. and, if, and if I'm honest, it, it's it's probably got scope even beyond that to people living with chronic conditions um, because, I mean, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I, I suspect a large population of people that, that actually don't fit in that autoimmune but have got a lot of very related um, conditions that you'll also experience um, and the same feelings that, that someone mm-hmm. has something for a long period of time I suspect will be will be there um across the board so you've got almost uh almost 20 percent of the population um that you could that, that you have scope um for yeah um and that's a again a really a really incredible thing to to have the the scope at least to do it i mean obviously doing it and finding a way of, of funding that is an entirely different different piece um but I'll, I'll let you hit the four million first <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's there and waiting but i suppose it's worth um it's certainly worth mentioning the listening place here which is 
where I used to work and it's the same model as us working with people volunteers to support people who are feeling suicidal mm-hmm. and I use their model um, their CEO is wonderful and helped me um, and it is so simple because all you need to teach people uh, is is active listening to basically shut up and listen yeah and once that happens someone begins to feel heard and safe and so they do it perfectly with suicide and the model is there ready and waiting and was so easy to to use with autoimmune disease and surely will be used in many different forums beyond that and should be yeah and and in terms of of funding i mean how do you even start with with trying to fund this type of social enterprise? Very good question. (laughs) Uh, Early on, we began with huge generosity of people that believed in us. I think that Alice, my co-founder and I, we had a very good story and people that cared about us really understood what we were trying to achieve. And that really um, allowed us to to get going and start. Um, Beyond that, the second layer was trying to find people that had connection to autoimmune disease and having conversations. The more conversations, the better. More introductions, the better. Mm. Um, And there's huge generosity from, from masses of friends and family. The point beyond that, which I suppose is making us more sustainable in the longer term, is grants and trusts. Um, The likelihood now of winning a grant is down to 4%, I've been told recently. Um, But we're still winning them. It's slow, but we are winning them. And that shows that we we have evidence of impact and we're writing a good dialogue. Um, And... uh, we're doing what we want to what we want to do, and it's and people are believing in it outside our friends and family, and that's really motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, you know, we there's also another large part of fundraising which is increasingly kicking off, where we're building a community of people that are devoted. So we have a wren whose husband is running a marathon for us. We have another volunteer that's doing a ridiculously long walk across scotland and raising money for us we've got um volunteers that cycled to brighton for us and it shows that people really believe in what we're doing and um and and want to get behind us and it's such an amazing feeling to see that lifting off the ground Mm. i suppose you've you've got the the kind of other sides of it where you can you can almost host events that that mm. people will pay for to come which will then create funding to, to yeah. deliver future um future events I, mean, I, I must admit that when when i looked at your 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 website and was kind of reading through everything the the immediate thing that, that the image that because i'm quite visual um even though I'm extremely logical in many ways, I'm also, I'm also quite visual. Um, and particularly when I'm thinking about emotive subjects, it's it's like why why I've started this. It was all the, an image in my head that kind of came about. Um, and 
that kind of image was was a almost a, a retreat style of yeah um, of, of of piece that people would go to and be able to actually have time away and 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 all that type of thing it, it just it gives that emotional connection that feels like that could be done which um which is pretty cool yeah and to be honest we might have an opportunity to do that one at one stage in the future um it's it's um bringing people together connecting them and and giving them space to order their own thoughts I, i agree i have a picture in my head of somewhere very safe calm and green yeah it's it's the same the same image I suspect. Um, I mean, with, with that comes all sorts of difficulties in terms of um, getting people there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's when my kind of practical brain brain comes in, but that's more than manageable. <laughs> of course, that shouldn't let us stuff us. No, I, it, it's funny. I mean, it brings up the context of COVID, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. people forget that people with autoimmune diseases were. Um, the most vulnerable out there. I I remember in the height of COVID, um, I had six different consultants from six different hospitals and they were all sending me these texts and letters and sometimes calling saying, you are high risk, you are most at risk. And oh my gosh, it just completely overwhelmed me. My response was to say, I'm not listening to anyone and want to just run away. Um, but yeah, it's somewhere safe and calm and COVID-free. Mm. <laughs> how, how is COVID still impacting the autoimmune population? Because it's, I, mean, mm. I, I had COVID two weeks ago, and I'm still my best time. My, my voice kind of croaky and chesty, and and not feeling as well as I would normally feel. And yeah, you know, apart from having steroids a few times a year for asthma. I don't have the same the same suppressed immune systems. That is it still as scary as it was? Yeah, I think it's I think it's so such an individual response. I can give you mine and then I can give you general ref- reflections from the REN project. Um, what what we've picked up from our, our RENs is that um, you know, it, it was it was terrifying, it, and people didn't know where to look for information, mm. and uh, and they were sort of forgotten. Um, especially, you know, think of a small autoimmune disease like myasthenia gravis. The numbers are tiny. Mm. They they were just not a priority during COVID to to tell you know how high at, at risk they were. It must have been incredibly isolating. Um, lupus is much more uh, prevalent as many more people, and still, um, it, it was really confusing. I didn't know how high risk I was, and I had the terror of loved ones adding to that. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, I think it's it's very individual. Um, you know, dependent on the individual. I mean, um, I'm, de- uh, you know, what's my response? I've every time I go to the pharmacy, he gives me another jab. So I think I'm on my sixth. 
I, and they seem to have no effect on me at all, I think, because I'm on such a high steroid dose. So apparently it doesn't mean that it means I don't get any symptoms. So I've completely welcomed them, but I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I just get as many as I can yeah. and crack on. <laughs> well, why not? If you, if you can get access to it, then, that, then that's, that's the way to do it. Protect yourself <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. If you don't get any side, I, I literally had, <laughs> at the first vaccination, I'd, mm. if you if you read if you read the list of side effects, oh, basically, no. basically them all, it was completely wiped out um, yeah. for, for a, a good couple of weeks. I kind of thought I might as well have just had it, but yeah, um, I've now got to wait because I I I had COVID. Um, I've now got to wait four weeks, I think it is. Um, cause I, I should be getting my booster, mm-hmm. um, ironically enough. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got, I've now got to wait, but I think, I think by having it, I will have a degree of, mm-hmm. of, uh, resilience to any, any further infections, but the joy of having a, of having a five-year-old starting school, I think that was. Oh God. <laughs> we also found, um, you know, a bit more, uh, certainly more somber. We we found that a lot of people with autoimmune diseases, um, they were triggered by the vaccine or by COVID. Oh, really? So they developed. I sat I sat next to someone in in the clinic a couple of weeks ago and got chatting to him, and he uh, has developed lupus as a result of having COVID. Wow. And I think that that's more common than we think, and perhaps something that we're going to see. Um, but, you know, I, with all autoimmune diseases, it's usually a spark and that can be an infection. Mm. And uh, and that, that's really terrifying. Well, I, I was really surprised by, and I, I, had it for, I had it on the first and second vaccination, but also got it when I had COVID. And it was, it was the, a, a rash um, mm. that um, was, I guess, kind of like shingles, but, because that's what I originally thought it, they thought it was, but then when it happened after the next vaccination, and then it happened this time, I got when oh. I got COVID in exactly the same place. Oh, really? So I had um, a spot under my left, um, under my left arm, and then a spot on my stomach mm. um, on my right side. Don't know why there. <laughs> Don't know why yeah. two connections that they, they've got, but yeah, exactly the same spot. Um, for the two jabs and and for COVID, um, it's, it's it's a bizarre old illness. Yeah. Um, COVID. Yes, definitely. That sounds terrifying. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. It was a mixture of terrifying and incredibly frustrating um, because I. I, mean, I I get kind of really bad hay fever and, and, and other allergic reactions that I've just always had. Um, and I take antihistamines constantly for those at a very high dose, which like you were saying with the, the, the kind of mixture of, um, of drugs that you have, they have their own, their own kind of knock on impacts. Um, but that itchy feeling, I just, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it, and it would not go. <laughs> um, it was, it was, yeah, almost driving me to 
to kind of insanity. Um, yeah. I would like a child where you're wrapping their hands up when they get chicken pox. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not, not much fun. Um, but my, my brother's a, a doctor down in Oxford. Um, so he works, uh, well, still works in um, the emergency room and intensive care. So kind of through COVID, he was, he was seeing everything that you can yeah. kind of see from both ends of the spectrum. Mm. And I, one of the things that always surprised me was the amount of really healthy people that mm. were really, really ill for no, for no obvious reason. Um, and I um, mean, yeah, that has made me more cautious, even though I ended up guessing it. Um, it certainly made me a lot more cautious than I think I would have otherwise um, yeah. been, which yeah. is probably not a bad thing. But actually something you mentioned just then of the itchiness, it made me think about um, a doctor's appointment where you know the doctors kind of look at the symptoms that you have and want to deal with the most the worst symptom in their in their view and go through them and I remember the first time a, a really amazing doctor asked me instead of going through his list and his order he said to me what to you is the worst symptom that you live with and the one that we want to fix um and I was so startled by that question because I'd never been asked before. But it is, uh, and I, I experience itchiness as well, so I by no means say this with any uh, um, meaning behind it, but it's the small symptoms, mm. small, small deemed by doctors or, or people you know, that don't experience them that are by far the most debilitating. Yeah. Um, and the biggest priorities um, to me are often not the same as the biggest priorities to other people. Mm. Well, I guess that's where the kind of what seems to be a, a fairly new model of, of the NHS patient-led care. It's just another name for a, a, a method that's always been around um, and that we've never quite got right. Um, mm. But true patient-led care is exactly that. It is asking the individual what do you need from me um first of all um and you know where does the rest of this sit in your priority list or whatever you want to call it um and then the doctor's job in my opinion should be then going well okay so let's let's have that as our core focus to to, to resolve this as much as possible and whilst we'll do that, do that, we'll also look at these key things because I, I need to make sure that we're not missing these. Yeah. Um, and that is then helping the yeah. individual because, as you say, it's those small things that actually add up to the biggest, maybe not the biggest problem, but the, certainly the biggest frustration from mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I understand that very well. <laughs> yeah. Very, very well. I wonder how often people would say mental health, um, as their biggest, um, yeah. over 
this summer um, has been crazy because we've been short of staff. Um, and I, but I've been really happy. Um, and you know, things are going really well in my personal life. I'm really happy at work. Yeah, I really love the people I work with. And then you look at my physical health, and I've had this summer uh, pneumocystic pneumonia uh, twice, uh, bronchitis, yeah. uh, another chest infection. Lupus has gone completely insane, and I actually haven't taken a day off. I'm I'm absolutely fine and managing fine. I am tired, but I'm managing fine. Um, but it's because I am I feel happy and supported and in a good place. So I think that you know, banging on about the REN project again, but if you can make people feel a bit more stable in their, their mental health, their mental state, you can deal with tough fights. Definitely. Um and there's a lot so although I've I'm only just starting on my um my psychology masters um even the kind of research that i've read so far um would support very heavily that that position um if you are i mean pain's a great one um, mm. so you can have two people that experience the same pain one having a positive mindset about it one having a negative mindset about it and you will find that the person with a negative mindset about it is more debilitated by that pain than the one with a positive mindset about it. Mm. And that's not to say that the pains, um, that the pain function, the biological pain is, is different. It's the same. It's just that the, um, the way that you then react to that um, has either a good effect on on it and and how you then then function which then does help breed other things so if you're more positive about it you're more likely to be active as an example and if you're mm. more active then um you 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 get a better release of of um of of the right sort of chemicals compared to not being as active and not having that release so that there are kind of um tag on uh, impacts from it but the core principle being by adjusting the person's mindset, you will you will allow them to be more active, which then puts them in the best position. Um, and that's that's what you're doing through the REM project. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't be said better. That's what we're trying to achieve. Amazing. As you know, I ask a couple of questions before we um, before we tie up. So the first one is is advice focus. So. Looking back at your five-year-old self, um, what bit of advice would you give to yourself? Five-year-old self, what would I do? I suppose don't be scared by the hurdles that are going to inevitably stand in your way. Um, something I tried to do throughout my life. Um, and at points I have been, but I think facing things head on uh, is really important. Um, I wish I'd done it more in, in my life at different points. Um, and when I have, there has been a, an end um, and 
that's incredible. Yeah, amazing. And then the other one, pretending that I am the world's best chef. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bad in the kitchen, but I wouldn't get up. <laughs> um, but pretending I am, what meal would you have uh, as a dinner party meal? And there's four seats at that table that need to be filled, um, uh, excluding yourself. Uh, so four other seats, who would be in them? Oh, this is going to reflect terribly on me and probably su- summarise my uh, um, approach to lupus. I probably eat everything that I was told not to <laughs> and that I'm technically not meant to eat and that I'm technically allergic to. So as much sweets and chocolate and junk yeah. as possible. <laughs> Why not? So I've got four seats. Yeah. I think just anyone that's, I think you can face anything in the world if you have people to face it with and the importance of having people there that make you feel less lonely and isolated. Um, so, so that would be really crucial to me. Um, and it's my family. I mean, sadly I have, there's seven of us, so it's, it's quite limited on seat numbers around the tables. But if I could put them, you know, they'd they'd all be there. Um, They've got me through everything. um, And they've made me feel less lonely from day one. Um, I have that. I think that um, that it's just so important to feel like you're not doing it on your own. Yeah. I will will drag some extra extra chairs and extend the (laughs) table. Your family would be would be would be there with you. Um, okay, that, that that was that was really wonderful. So um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I always end the uh, the podcast with just wishing you love, compassion, uh, and and kindness, and just thank you, um, thank you very much for coming on. The same to you. Cheers. Thank you. Well, thank you, friends. That's all we've got time for today. I'm sure you have enjoyed uh, today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you rate uh, the episode and the show's five stars on whatever platform you might be listening on. And of course, please share your own stories and your own um, kind of th- thoughts and feelings of the episodes in the reviews. You can also find me on I am Gavin Clark and that's Clark with an E over on Instagram and you can search for the safe place uh, on there too it's a safe place podcast but for now I'll send you away with love kindness and compassion speak soon